So this morning we are uh, jumping into a new sermon series called Encounter Jesus. If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, but as we go into this, uh, this idea of encountering Jesus, I think all of us have probably had personal encounters, uh, not just with Jesus, but just with people in general, encounters that change your life. You meet someone who ends up becoming your wife or your husband. Uh, you meet someone who you start working for eventually. Uh, maybe you met somebody who invited you to this church and this church has become your church family. So you have these encounters that change your life. There's a story that I found uh, uh, recently that I read that I found was uh, really interesting. And there's a lot of these kind of stories. But this is a story about a man named Scott Story. Um, and he had an encounter that changed his life. So in 2019, this man named Scott actually was diagnosed with a, a rare form of colorectal cancer. Okay, And so he was having severe uh, side effects uh, and uh, had actually lost, I think, 40 pounds in six weeks. And he wasn't a big guy. So he was wasting away. So he went to see the doctor. They said, you've got this rare form of cancer. Uh, and unfortunately, there's really not much we can do. We're just going to treat it with chemo. Uh, and, you know, we hope you enjoy the rest of your days. And, uh, you know, so that was kind of crushing news to him. Um, but his kids went online and started researching because that always works, right, to research your health stuff online. But they actually discovered there was a treatment for this kind of cancer. So that's good news. Um, and it was this special kind of treatment where they gave special chemo at different temperatures. And so all of a sudden there was hope again. And so Scott Story and his wife were actually going on vacation before they started this treatment. Uh, they went down to Gulf Shores, Alabama. They're from Michigan. They went to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And they one night went to a restaurant, and it was a completely empty restaurant, they said. And uh, so they got seated and sat down, and they'd been there a few minutes. And sure enough, the, the hostess came and seated another couple at the table right next to them. Has that ever happened to you? You think you're going to get a nice private meal, and then you get somebody seated right next to you. So, uh, so they're sitting there thinking, okay, this is interesting. Well, Scott ordered warm water uh, because that helped his uh, cancer condition. Well, the guy at the next table heard him order warm water, and he said, excuse me, are you on chemotherapy right now? And uh, and Scott said, yeah, I am. And so uh, they found out this guy actually had the same kind of cancer. They were seated next to this family with the same kind of cancer who had actually signed up for that exact same special new treatment. So they exchanged contact information, and, and everything was good. Uh, Scott Story and his wife went back to Michigan. This was early uh, 2020. Um, and about two weeks later, the whole country shut down. And in the state of Michigan, that meant all chemo and cancer procedures, at least for that time, got shut down as well. So can you imagine that'd be a pretty scary thing to have happen? Uh, all of a sudden, he couldn't have the treatment he needed. Well, he called up his friend uh, who he had met by chance uh, down in, in Alabama. And he said, yeah, we're still actually doing these treatments in Kentucky. And so Scott and his wife were able to go down there and... Uh, and uh, get that treatment that they needed. And actually, uh, the, the story is not over yet, of course. Uh, this is all fairly recent, but had great results from the procedure. It looks like he's cancer-free at this point. So Scott's story had this unexpected chance encounter that changed his life. I mean, very likely he would not be alive today had he not met that person by chance in a restaurant. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is encountering Jesus. Because I want to tell you this. You can think of a lot of examples in life where you've met someone and it's changed your life. But the thing I want us to remember over these next four weeks, following up on Easter, is that if you encounter Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, how good your life's going, how poorly your life's going, um, how famous you are, how not famous you are. If you encounter Jesus, 
your life will never be the same again. And so what we want to do over the next four weeks is actually uh, look at these four different people or groups of people who encountered Jesus and uh, their lives were never the same. So this week we're going to be talking about this morning, we're going to talk about the walk to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. Uh, that's going to be in Luke 24. Next week, we're going to talk about Nicodemus, how he encountered Jesus by believing in him. Jesus says, believe in me. Uh, that's John three. The third week, we're going to talk about this unnamed individual. We don't even know his name, but he was healed by Jesus. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about Peter when he was restored by Jesus. And so what you'll see is here this week, we're talking about a post-resurrection encounter with Jesus, people who encountered the risen Jesus. The two middle weeks are people who just encountered Jesus during his life, and then we'll end again with Peter's encounter with Jesus, again, the resurrected Jesus. But it's my hope that each of you will encounter Jesus during these four weeks, maybe for the first time, Or perhaps you've encountered him your whole life, and so I hope that you'll encounter him again in a whole new way uh, as we as we go through these texts. So it's my hope that your life will never be the same again after each one of these encounters. This morning, like I said, we're going to be looking at Luke 24, and and we call this uh, message "Walk with Walk with Him." This is the story of the two uh, apostles or two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and I have to tell you. This story and this text has special meaning for me because the church I grew up in, the name of the church was actually Emmaus. Uh, And so this is the story of the road to Emmaus where Jesus literally walked with some of his followers, uh, just like he wants to literally walk with you today. But to understand, I think, what's going on in this story, we're going to find some people who got some good news, but they weren't sure it was true. Okay. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, you know, it's April right now. So we're winding up the school year. My kids have about six weeks left until school's out. And so I know anyone who's like a high school senior, they're wrapping up their senior year. They're going to graduate and then they're going to go off to college in the fall. We hope, right? As long as colleges are open again this year. So, uh, you're wrapping things up, getting ready to go to college. Well, you all know if you, if you have family members who've walked through this application process, you apply to all these colleges and then you wait. You wait to see, are they going to accept me? Are they going to take me in? Uh, and, and then that day arrives and you get that letter in the mail and you open it up to see if you're accepted or rejected. Well, this happened literally this week. Uh, the University of Kentucky erroneously sent out acceptance emails to 500,000 high school students. Okay, 500,000 students for one of its programs, a report said. This is from the New York Post. The university corrected the issue less than a day later, sending out new emails, uh, apologizing for the snafu. They blamed a technical issue, uh, as was reported by a TV station. So this bogus acceptance letter confirmed a spot this fall in the school's clinical leadership and management program in the College of Health Sciences, which usually enrolls, get this, about three dozen people. So 36 people, and they accepted 500,000. So do the math. That's 499,974 students who got the wrong message. Okay? Has anything like that ever happened to you? Where you hear really good news, and then you find out, wait, can I be sure that's real? Or maybe you find out for a fact it's not real, and you're disappointed. You know, that's what often happens in life, and that's definitely what happens in our text today. These two disciples hear some news that sounds really great, but they're just not sure it's really true. In fact, they think it's probably not true. And you know, in life, as we're going to see, you go through life, unexpected things happen. You think life's going one way, and it goes another way. 
And I want to challenge us this morning that no matter what news you get, no matter what your circumstances are, our text today from Luke 24 invites us, invites you and me to walk with Jesus. No matter what you're going through, walk with him. So let's look today at Luke 24. We're going to read these verses and kind of follow through the text and just discover what Jesus says it means to walk with him as he does with these disciples. So uh, Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, says this. That very day, two of them, two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, this is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. These are the verses uh, through 24 that kind of begins our text today. When we talk about walking with Jesus... This morning, just from this first section of our text, I think we need to see that what it means is that Jesus wants to walk with you through disappointment. Jesus comes alongside them and walks with them through their disappointment. And just kind of going verse by verse here, uh, put yourself in their shoes. I mean, look at verse 13. It says this, uh, on the very first, that very same day. uh, So we're actually still talking about Easter morning. We forget this. This event actually happens on Easter Sunday. The day that Jesus was resurrected. And so there's been a lot of talk. Some people went to the tomb. It was empty. We don't know where Jesus' body is right now. And so these two folks are on their way home. And they're talking all about it. It says they were walking on the road to Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And just for a point of reference, seven miles would be about the distance if you were to walk down 190 and take a right on I-12 and go over to the target, that's about seven miles. Uh, or about the same distance to, to Moo's frozen custard if you, uh, if you walk that way, okay? So that's about how far you'd have to walk. Well, how long would that take? According to Google... It would take you two and a half or three hours to walk that far. So about a half a day's walk. And remember, this was the transportation people had. So they're on their way home and they're talking about all these things. And then you get to verse 15. While they were talking and discussing these things together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? 
You know, whenever God asks a question, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't already know the answer, right? He knew exactly what they were talking about. He's God. He has supernatural knowledge. And yet he asked them this question anyways. He asked them this question even though he knows. And I love what it says. And they stood still looking sad. That's what happens when disappointment hits you sometimes, right? You're going through life. You think you're moving forward. Here's the plan. Uh, here's Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to be the one who rescues us, rescues all of Israel. Uh, and then everything just stops. And you can just end up standing there looking sad like they did. Verse 18 is maybe one of the most ironic verses in the whole scripture, right? It says, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these last few days? I mean, think about it. Of all the people in Jerusalem, I think Jesus understood it better than anyone who had been there. He was the one to whom it had all happened. Beginning on Palm Sunday, when he rode into the city and people shouted, praise Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king is here. Then he's betrayed on Thursday, crucified on Friday, lies in the grave on Saturday, and is resurrected on Sunday. Of all the people in Jerusalem, Jesus knows the events because they happened to him. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know? And verse 19, again, look what Jesus says. What things? <laughs> again, he knows what things, but he wants them to describe it. Jesus already knows the answer. And then in verses 20 through 24, uh, these two disciples walk through the whole scenario of what has happened. Um, it's amazing. It talk, they talk about how the chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. He was killed. 100% dead. You can't survive crucifixion. What you get here in this, as you read these verses 20 through 24, and they get this account of some of those who were with us went to the tomb, verse 24, they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They're experiencing a lot of doubt and uncertainty. They say, here's what we thought was going to happen, but then Jesus died and we're just, we don't really know what to do. Our world just got blown up. They're uncertain and they're disappointed. If you were in their shoes, I'm sure you would have been as well. This most amazing person you've ever laid eyes on that you've ever heard speak, who could heal the sick, give sight to the blind, raise the dead, claim to have the power to forgive sins, was killed. So you'd be disappointed and uncertain as well if you were in their shoes. There was a key phrase in there, though, in verse 21. Did you catch it? Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. That really encapsulates a lot of life that we live through, doesn't it? You have your idea of how things are going to work out. You hoped it was going to go this way. But then it goes another way. For them, they had hoped that Jesus was going to bring redemption. He was going to set the nation of Israel free, both politically and religiously. They thought he was going to come and restore all things. They were hoping for a good thing, right? That was a good thing they were hoping for. But now, because Jesus died, they thought that hope was impossible. Their hope was dying. We had hoped this was going to happen but now we don't think it can. 
So do you ever feel like that in life? Where you've hoped for something. Uh, we had hoped, just fill in the blank, right? You could fill a lot of things in there. We had hoped that this pandemic would only last six weeks and we'd get back before Easter last year. I had hoped that this would be a permanent job and I'd be able to retire from it, but now I've been let go. We had hoped we'd be able to have children. We had hoped that our children would be healthy for their whole lives. I had hoped that my spouse would have lived longer and we could have enjoyed retirement together. I'd hoped my cancer would have gone away. I hoped we wouldn't have gotten a divorce. You can fill in the blank with any number of disappointments or difficulties that you've gone through. We had hoped. Because there's inevitably going to be challenges and difficulties and disappointments in life. But if you know Jesus, if you've encountered Jesus, don't miss this. The resurrected Jesus is walking with you through any disappointment you will face. The resurrected Jesus is walking with you through any disappointment or any difficulty that you will face. And this story gives us a great picture of that. He actually does walk down a road with these two followers. But I think that's a picture of what he wants to do. Through your disappointments, what does that look like? What does it look like to walk with Jesus through disappointments and difficulties? Well, I think from this text, we can see first off, That Jesus wants to hear your concerns, right? He knew what they were worried about. He knew what they were disappointed about. And yet he said, tell me about it. Tell me what you're concerned about. Kind of reminds you of the Psalms, right? How people open their hearts to God and just pour out their concerns. God already knows what our concerns are. And yet he loves to hear us confide in him. That's what a relationship is. He wants to communicate. So he wants to hear your concerns. Brothers and sisters, it's important, I think, to realize that when you go through a difficult time, to be honest with God is a very important thing. God wants us to be honest and open with him. He can handle your questions. He can handle your concerns. And he can help explain these things, too. That's the first thing. He wants to hear your concerns. We can see that clearly. He asked them twice, tell me, what are you concerned about? But another thing, what does it look like to walk through disappointment? He wants to be near you. It says he drew near to them. He wants to be near you. Sometimes that next step, like I said, is just telling him how you feel. But he actually says, I want to draw near to you. In fact, right after this, later in Luke 24, he gives Luke's version of the Great Commission. But if we think back to Matthew 28, what are the last words Jesus says in the book of Matthew? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The resurrected Jesus wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be near with you through whatever you might face. So walking through disappointment means telling him your concerns, staying near to him. And then the third thing I would just say is this. To have any friend walk with you is a gift from God, right? Literally, to go on a walk with somebody or to go through life with a friend is a gift from God. To have a friend who walks with you through disappointment is an extra special gift, right? You've all experienced that when you walk through a difficult season and a friend stays with you and walks through that with you. That's a special gift. 
but to have the resurrected Jesus, the one who was rejected, murdered, buried, and then resurrected, to have him walk with you through difficulty, that is a supernatural gift. A gift from God. And he says, I want to do that. I want to walk with you through any disappointment you may have. So know this. Knowing that Jesus walks with you through disappointment refocuses your hope. They said, we had hoped these things would happen. And Jesus says, by being there, says, you can refocus your hope on what is going to happen. Which brings us to the next point. When we walk with Jesus, what we see in this text is... We not only walk through disappointment, but we can walk with understanding. Because Jesus' walk and his conversation with these two followers gives them understanding as to what is actually going on in this life. And you have to admit, what they had just faced was hard to understand. Yes, ahead of time, Jesus had said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, and the third day I'm going to rise, but... If you're witnessing this and seeing how it all went down and he was killed like a common criminal, put in a grave, it would be hard to understand. And Jesus wants to walk with us and walk with them to give understanding. Look at verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, 25 through 27. Now this little section of scripture is one that I've thought many times. And I had this thought while I was going through seminary. I went to Bible college for four years and then I went to seminary for another four years. And I got done and I thought, there's still so much of Scripture that I don't know and don't understand. I wish I could have just walked with Jesus to Emmaus and he could have explained it all to me. Would have saved me a lot of time, right? A seven-mile walk instead of a seven-year education, eight-year education. But how incredible would it be to walk with God, the one who gave us the Word, and he explains how it all fits together. You know, there's a lot he doesn't say in these verses. You know, we don't get the whole outline of... And then he went from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus. You know, it doesn't tell us exactly what he said. But it says, he interprets the events in the light of Scripture. He interprets these things. And, and what he wants these followers to see is that this was all part of God's plan. All part of God's plan. It looks like defeat, but Jesus tells them, this is not defeat. This is victory. The fact that this Messiah came and was raised again from the dead, that is ultimate victory. Now, a couple times in that text, you probably noticed the word all. It says, foolish ones, you are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures. In a seven-mile walk, he explained all these things to them. And I've always thought, well, what did he say? Again, I wish I could have just tagged along and heard some of that and you know i you know we don't know for a fact but some of the things that i'm confident were probably addressed um partly because we see some of this later in the new testament and the teaching of the apostles uh, but think about what week it was they had just celebrated passover two days before 
Jesus was killed at the same time as the Passover lamb. So I'm relatively certain that they probably talked about Passover. Um, here we are in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Actually, the feast is still going on as these folks are, uh, are walking. And so Jesus probably talked to them about Passover, how his blood protects us from judgment for sin, just like the Passover lamb back in the book of Exodus. Isaiah 53, flip over there with me. Isaiah 53 describes to a T the things that Jesus experienced uh, on Good Friday. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then verse 5. Think about this in light of Good Friday. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus, I'm sure, explained some of this. There's other passages. Again, one week earlier, remember Palm Sunday. Jesus had come in, it fulfills the words of Zechariah 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, he is coming to you. So just to talk about how he, that Jesus, the Messiah, had fulfilled all these things in the Old Testament. How he had fulfilled all the law. You know, we see this kind of an explanation occurring throughout the New Testament after this day. Uh, and so I would like to think, and we don't know this for a fact, but that the things that Jesus told these two followers and then later in the day he told the other disciples in an upper room when he explained all the scriptures to them, this is a lot of what makes up the apostles' teaching throughout the New Testament. So it begins all the way in the Gospels, right? Like the Gospel of Matthew where it says, all this happened to fulfill what was said by the prophet. Um, it's, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Peter, in the book of Acts, he lays out the history of Israel in Acts chapter 3 and 4, following up on Pentecost, birth of the church. And he says, here's what God promised, here's how Jesus fulfilled it, and here's where we are now. And probably the best treatment of this, of how Jesus comes to fulfill the Old Testament, is found in the book of Hebrews. I mean, that's the topic of Hebrews. Jesus is better than all the sacrifices, all the priests, all the angels, anything else. Jesus brings it all to completion. We see that in the book of Hebrews. So Jesus explained it all to them and helps them to walk with understanding. In light of Scripture, he says, the Scriptures make sense of all these events that you've seen happening. Walking with Jesus means depending on him to give you understanding. You can't have understanding on your own. You have to depend on him and his word. So here's a question for you this morning. Where do you look for understanding? In life, when something happens to you or you see something happen in the world, where do you look for understanding? Understanding the events of this life or understanding the events of the world? You know, I would say right now there's probably more information and more knowledge available than at any point in human history. 
more information is available to more people than ever before because of the internet, right? And so this is what happens at my house. When I want to understand something or I want to know something, uh, this happens all the time. You push that little button on your phone and you ask Siri, right? And you say, hey, Siri, uh, what year did this happen? Or, you know, you, you just ask for information. But guess what? More information, more knowledge does not equal more understanding, okay? Just because we have more information available right now does not mean that we have more understanding of what's going on in our lives. Understanding comes through one thing only, and that's through a text message. It doesn't matter what format you use to get this text message. You might get it digitally on your phone or through the written word. But understanding comes through the text message, through the text that we receive from God, through God's word. And you'll notice Jesus uses the text. He uses the word to give these disciples understanding. The word of God interprets the world around us. And it's not the other way around, okay? The word of God interprets the world around us. It helps us to understand the world we live in. It helps us to understand the circumstances we're walking through. That doesn't mean we know every detail or we can say, well, this is why this is happening and that's why that's happening. There are some things that will always be question marks. But ultimately, the word of God gives us understanding. So where do you look for understanding? You know, Jesus, before he was resurrected, made a promise. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you understand the word and understand all things. Look at this verse, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when we think about this idea of walking with Jesus, walking with understanding, my encouragement to you is this. Ask him for understanding, okay? You have to depend on him. Ask him for understanding. And then abide in him and abide in his word. Because it's through his word that you will have understanding of the events of life. And understanding of how he wants you to live in this world. So abide in him and abide in his word. You know, there's a lot of other places we can look for information. Things that we think will give us understanding. But ultimately... It's only through Christ that we will truly understand the world we live in and how he wants us to live in this world. So walk with understanding, depend on him to give you that understanding. That brings us to the third point. And these last verses, I think what we see, and really throughout this whole text, is that Jesus says, I want you to walk in relationship with me. This is not just about having information or talking about someone about talking with someone okay walking in a relationship listen to these verses verse 28 so they drew near to the village to which they were going and he acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent so he went to stay with them and when he was at the table with them he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. 
And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I think what we see here is Jesus says, I want you to walk in a relationship with me. And how do we see that? Just a couple of basic things. First of all, you see hospitality, right? They welcomed him into their home. Uh, that's one of those things you do in a relationship. You're a welcoming person. So he, they welcomed him. He welcomed them into this conversation. We also see him having a conversation with them. That's what relationships are, is communicating, understanding one another. We also see him sharing a meal. That's just a basic thing, right? Sharing a meal with somebody you love. Uh, we know... Uh, this is not communion that's being described here, even though it talks about Jesus breaking the bread. But literally, he was blessing the meal and broke the bread. And then somehow God supernaturally revealed to them, this is Jesus. And that moment of realization must have been amazing. So he shared a meal with them. You know, there is another meal that we use uh, called communion. We do this regularly here as a church because that meal reminds us and helps us recognize who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's the last thing is look at verse 31 and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then again in verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So they recognized who he was. They knew him for who he was. And that doesn't mean just knew about him. They experienced it. They recognized who he was. So this is an important question this morning. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Do you recognize him as the one who died for your sins? The one who paid the penalty and removed the judgment that you deserve for your sins? Do you recognize him as that person? Do you recognize him as the one who was dead and then was raised again, giving you the promise of eternal life? It's only through him that you can experience heaven and eternal life and a walk with God forever. Do you recognize Jesus as that person? Because that's what it really means to have a relationship. Recognize him and then trust him alone. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your pastor. You can't trust the church to save you. You can only trust Jesus to save you. So have you recognized him? Have you encountered him in that way through trust? I would just say, if you haven't done that, I would invite you to do that this morning for the first time. Trust him. Tell him you trust him. Perhaps you've already encountered him and you recognized him for who he was a long time ago. Well, look at what happens to these two followers. When they recognize who he is, it leads to a greater passion and desire to know him and follow him. It says, didn't our hearts burn within us while he explained to us the scriptures? When they recognized that he was the Messiah, they had a greater passion to know him and follow him. You know, one of the ways you can sum up the Christian life is to know Jesus and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. And to have a greater passion to recognize him and then share him with others. And that's exactly what they do. Their recognition of him, their relationship with him, leads them to go and share the good news. They didn't keep it to themselves. I love how all through this resurrection story, as the gospel of Luke ends, people are telling everyone, guess what happened? Jesus is gone. He's not there. But I love this. And I think this is the challenge for us here. When, it ta- when we talk about walking in a relationship with Jesus, this is a daily walk. 
Daily recognizing and remembering who he is. Daily. You know, there's that song, Give Me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Every moment of my life, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You see, when we walk with Jesus, we encounter him. And we encounter him by walking with him on a daily basis. You know, the term walk is just this common term. It's not a special word, is it? Walking's pretty boring. Just one foot in front of the other. In fact, you could think of walking as just getting from point A to B to point B. Um, one thing that helped me understand kind of this beauty, I think, of walking with Jesus is when I first met Sarah. Sarah used to do uh, long-distance backpacking. She did a couple of trips in high school. One was like, I think, a multi-week trip in California. And I heard that, and I grew up on a farm, and I was like, well, why would you spend all that energy to get from point A to point B? Like, you could drive, you know, and uh, and uh, if that's the point. But then I realized, and part of this I realized through getting to know her, was that when you go on a trip like that, a backpacking trip, there's companionship, there's conversation, you see amazing beauty, you might go through some injuries and difficulties together, but the things you see along the way and the things you experience along the way make that journey worth it. That's what it means to walk together. When we talk about walking with Jesus, it means much more than just getting from point A to point B. Because I think what we see is when we walk with Jesus, we can walk through any difficulty. We can walk with true understanding of the world around us. And we can walk in a growing relationship with him. And so this morning, Jesus invites you to walk with him. He invites all of us to walk with him. So I would invite you, let's walk with him together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who wants to walk with us. Uh, God, I pray that we would faithfully do that as a church family. God, I pray for any individual who hasn't begun that walk yet, Lord, that today you would speak directly to that person and help them to want to follow you. And for those of us who've been walking with you for a while, God, I pray you'd give us a new passion to walk with you and to follow you together. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, you are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.